In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning and happy Easter. It is highly appropriate that the second Sunday of Easter should focus on the church. The church is the community of God's people that is defined by the Easter event, and we are all called to live out the resurrected life. The Gospel text appears the second Sunday of Easter in all three years of the lectionary. And the Sunday after Easter often feels like a bit of a letdown after the journey through Holy Week and the excitement of Easter Sunday. This service can seem tame and bring disappointment by comparison depending depending on how one looks at it. The temptation for everyone is to go back to life as usual leaving the drama of Easter Day behind. The early church fathers were fond of making a comparison of the church with Israel. Israel was birthed and defined by the Exodus event. And when Israel went astray, which happened often, the prophets called on his people to repent of their ways and return to relationship to their God, Creator, and Deliverer. And they were asked to remember their calling by living in their covenantal relationship established through the Exodus experience, their deliverance from slavery to the promised land. So like Israel, the church has frequently forgotten its beginnings. It passes through times of wilderness wanderings, times of turning away from God, times when it forgets that it is the community of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are all called to announce, embody, and to demonstrate this good news of the gospel of the kingdom. Easter season is a time to call the church back to its roots, back to its beginnings, back to its original identity. So the church was not and never has been perfect. We see this in the story of Thomas in this passage. He wanted proof because his faith was based on evidence. And yet Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The proof of the resurrection is not in reason, science, logic, and intellectual argument, but primarily in the community of the resurrected people. The church is called to be a sign, a witness to the Easter message that Christ has overcome the powers of evil, sin, and death. We are told that we prove to be disciples by our love for one another. Paul says in Ephesians 3 verse 10, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So every generation has to ask the difficult questions of what it means to be a Christian here and now, in this place, at this time. It is our desire to faithfully speak to people living in the 21st century, providing love and listening well and speaking truth, knowing how to have a conversation that shows respect, but is not afraid to ask questions and to share honestly. And that does not enter into today's culture of outrage and thus hinder and damage our testimony and our witness. We need to be contextual without watering down its message. 
We have to share and show the gospel faithfully and loyally to an ever-changing culture. But in doing so, we need to remember our origins, our roots in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and once again become a community of the resurrection. Now, after Mary Magdalene encounters the risen Christ, he gives her an assignment. Go find the disciples, tell them the story of what she has seen, and deliver to them this message that Jesus will soon ascend to the Father. Now, verse 19 opens behind the locked doors of the upper room in which the disciples are huddled together. It is the evening of the same day. Mary's report had apparently done little to encourage the emotional state of Jesus' followers. It wasn't quarantine. They were locked in, hunkered down, and closed up because of their fear of the Jewish leaders. And the disciples anticipate that the religious authorities, having gotten rid of Jesus, the the so-called troublemaker, will come hunting for them as well. Even though the room was closed and locked, John reports that Jesus was standing there among them. And before any opportunity to react, Jesus offers his disciples a blessing, peace be with you. Before the disciples even ask, Jesus proves his real physical existence by showing them not only the wounds in his hands, but the mark of the spear that was thrusted in his side. So he is not a ghost in spite of his ability to pass through the door which, when it was locked. This is the same Jesus, the living human that his disciples had known and loved. After confirming his uh, physical presence, Jesus once again repeats his declaration and he says this, Peace be with you. And as John's gospel has emphasized repeatedly, Jesus declares his and our sentness. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. John 17 verse 18 seems to identify the focus and the scope of this sentness, which says, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. The world is identified as Jesus' mission ground and ours as well. This is what it means to be the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And apostolic here means sent. We are a sent church. So we have the responsibility and the privilege to be sent into the world, into our everyday life, into the workplace, our neighborhoods, to show and to share the good news of Jesus, to live the resurrected life. So when Jesus breathed, the gift of the Holy Spirit into that closed room, he performed a spiritual CPR on his disciples. And fearfully together, Jesus stepped into their midst and breathed peace and purpose and possibility back into their deflated souls. The Holy Spirit is breathed out for all to take in. Jesus exhales the Holy Spirit and his disciples inhale deeply the breath. Of life. In what ways do we need CPR, life, to be brought into our deflated souls? Are we living in fear, anxiety, maybe hate, bitterness, maybe jealousy and unforgiveness? Maybe we are tired and exhausted. Maybe we feel like the walls are caving in around us 
as we've talked about over these last couple weeks during this pandemic and quarantine. Jesus breathes and invites all to receive the Holy Spirit. It is a collective gift to those that would be the community of God. That is us. What is stopping us from exhaling our troubles and burdens and sins and evil and breathing in the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit? Thomas, one of the twelve, missed Jesus' first visit. Despite the excitement of the others, Thomas, bless him, acts as we would expect and like many of us. Thomas refused to believe until he not only sees for himself, but also feels the marks. And only when those conditions are met will Thomas affirm that a true resurrection of Jesus' body has taken place. In verse 26, it is once again the first day of the week, and that was eight days later, when the disciples are again gathered in the house. Jesus again appeared among them in a miraculous manner. He greets his disciples and offered them again peace. Jesus now directly addresses Thomas and invites him to go ahead and perform the physical exam that he demanded. But Jesus' real invitation is for Thomas to give up his doubt and instead embrace faith. What areas have we been doubtful? What areas do we need to embrace faith? Thomas calls out in faith, my Lord and my God. Jesus accepts Thomas's confession, yet he also gently chides Thomas for having to depend upon eyesight to elicit faith. John's gospel has not mentioned any specific individuals who had believed without seeing the risen Jesus. Mary Magdalene and the other disciples had also believed because they had seen Jesus's resurrected body. We have the opportunity to live as a community of faith the body of Christ, the church of the resurrected Lord. The Holy Spirit will be at work in and through this community, and this will be the evidence of the resurrection. Our words and actions will demonstrate to the world that we are disciples of the risen Jesus. The community of faith who follows Christ and lives the gospel of the kingdom and embodies his character and his ways will be the best defense and interpretation of the gospel today. I want to say that one more time. This is really important. The community of faith who follows Jesus Christ and lives the gospel of the kingdom and embodies his character and ways will be the best defense an interpretation of the gospel today. How well are we defending and interpreting the gospel by the way that we live our lives? Verse, verses 29 through 31 says, Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Here he gives the purpose of this book. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs and additions to the ones recorded in this book. But they are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. This applies to every generation who reads this gospel. The entire reason for John's writings is to communicate the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, 
so that every new generation, every culture, every person, every community will have life by the power of his name. I would like us to look at verse 23. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. How do we feel about that? Are we up to the task? Well, I think I would probably say, and I think you would agree, that of course we're not. The verse continues, if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. If anyone imagines that they are ready and willing to take on the task, they probably need to go back to school and learn a little bit of humility. But Jesus thinks the disciples can do it. Indeed, he's not asking them if they would like to. He's giving them a command. They are to go and they are to do it. But of course, that is not the whole story. They could come back at him and say, but we thought only God could forgive sins. And they would be right. God is going to forgive sins through them. The command comes after the crucial promise and gift of the Holy Spirit. So the point of receiving the Holy Spirit, it is clear, is not to give the disciples new spiritual experiences, though to be sure they will have plenty of those. Nor is it to set them apart from ordinary people, a sort of holier-than-thou club. The point is so that they can do in and for the whole world what Jesus had been doing in Israel. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. That is the clue to it all. How does the unique achievement of Jesus in one time and place affect all other times and places? How does the message he preached, which made so much sense in the first century Palestine, spread to other cultures and peoples who aren't thinking about God's kingdom, who aren't waiting for a Messiah, who don't look at the world like that at all. The long story of God in Israel has reached its climax in Jesus. And now the salvation that he has brought to Israel is to come from the Jewish world out to the wider world of the Gentiles. And the disciples are to start the process of taking it there, and they certainly did. Many of us never think about this being our job description. We often think this is something done by clergy or missionaries who work in other parts of the world or the hired staff of the church. Maybe a few specially gifted lay people might be included in that. However, Jesus's breath, God's breath, or keeping the analogy that I've used several times in this message so far, spiritual CPR enables all of us to do the work of ministry. And the Bible makes that so crystal clear. We are to pronounce in God's name and by His Holy Spirit the message of forgiveness to all who believe in Jesus Christ. We are also to retain sins, to warn the world that sin is serious It's a deadly disease, and that to remain in it will bring only death. We are to rebuke and to warn because this is God's message to the chaotic, confused, and defiant world. A people prone to do things their own way, to follow their own idols, to serve the flesh, and to live in darkness. St. Paul, 20 years or so later, asked in 2 Corinthians, who is sufficient for such things? He, like John, gave the right answer. None of us 
but God enables us to do it by His Holy Spirit. May we remember that we are a community of the resurrection. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, living by faith, and we are on with the mission. In our Gospel reading, simply put, Jesus offers them and us peace, shalom, where nothing is missing and nothing is hidden. He fills us with the Holy Spirit and He appoints us as witnesses in the world. And though for now, for this season of pandemic and quarantine, God will show us ways that we can still be the church through phone calls, emails, text messages, cards, letters, picking up groceries or running errands for others, making someone bread or a dessert or a meal, and the list is endless. In this awkward time that we all find ourselves, our words and actions can show clearly and demonstrate profoundly that we are the community of the resurrection. And in closing, listen to the good news of the gospel from both our first and second readings this morning. I will be reading just a portion thereof. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through Him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep keep its hold on him. May the kingdom of God come in Long Beach, as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.